If you'd turn to Luke chapter 24, I'm just going to read one verse this morning and then we'll jump in to the sermon. I remember um, preaching on this passage the week before, well, it was almost a year, it was a little bit over a year ago, and um, Joy and I were getting ready to go on sabbatical, and uh, this was the last sermon before um, before we left, so it would have been like the second week of November, I guess, something like that, and... and um, I was anticipating being able to go to Jerusalem, and uh, Joy was just reminding me this morning that it was a year ago today that we were told uh, you can't go, and um, and so 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 disappointed. Um, but there will be a day. Um, there will be a day when we will see the New Jerusalem, particularly. I'm just going to read the uh, the last three verses, actually, the whole the Ascension account, and focus um, actually just right before the Ascension account, and then into the Ascension account. Jesus speaks in verse 49 as a, as a promise. He says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. See a similar account in Acts chapter 1. So would you turn to Acts chapter 1? Same author, speaking to the same man, Theophilus. Acts 1, verse 4. This is not up on the screen, so you have to get into your Bibles for this. And while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. For the promise of the Father, which we saw in Luke 24, 49, was power from on high. He said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know times or seasons, as the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And we continue this morning in our We Believe series um, by considering the next section, uh, section 10, which is entitled, The Empowering Work or Ministry of the Spirit. Last week, we considered specifically um, the work of the Spirit of God in applying all the glories of our salvation. Um, things like regeneration, and adoption, and, and uh, calling, and justification, these beautiful realities. The Holy Spirit applies these to our lives. And I wrapped up last week's sermon by reminding us that as we gather week after week, we aren't just filling our heads with more information, although hopefully there is more information going in that's appropriate and right and orthodox, but it's not simply just more information. We're primarily looking to the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus alone, growing in our love for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and we we want to continue to go deeper into the glories of Calvary. There's more to be seen, more to be known, more to be experienced. Not departing from that primary message of the gospel, loving the gospel, celebrating the glory of Christ, living lives of happy, humble, and hopeful obedience that's empowered by the Spirit. That's, that's what I spoke on last week. Knowing that we are chosen and called and saved and justified and adopted all by God's grace and mercy alone and then nothing can take that from us. 
If you weren't here for last week's message, I just encourage you to take some time this week to, to go back and listen to that and be freshly in awe of, like, even as we enter into the new church calendar year today, going into Advent, realizing that, that Jesus Christ, all the promises that are found, that are yes and amen in Jesus, come about because the Father from before the foundation of the world, Father, Son, Spirit, from before the foundation of the world, made a plan to redeem a people for himself to dwell with forever, and doing so through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And so we spoke also last week about just being those who are eager to enjoy, declare, and display the good news of Jesus Christ and the joy of our salvation that we've experienced to others around us. And as we considered two weeks ago, then, uh, we have not been left on our own, but we've been given the Holy Spirit gift of the Holy Spirit, delighting in the gift of the Holy Spirit was the title of the sermon. He was a work in the Old Testament, was considerably a work in the Old Testament and in the New Testament times and that much more with God's people in, in New Testament times. Not only are we those who are to delight in the gift of the Spirit who indwells us, which is what I spoke about a couple of weeks ago when we come to believe on Jesus, but we are to delight in and enjoy um, the power of the Spirit to do in us that which God wills. So the reason that we're going to talk about this this morning is because it's so easy to just kind of believe that the Spirit of God is God, but that somehow He's distant or not, we're not cognizant of His work in our lives in these moments, in, in this very day, in this very moment right now. And so I want to quote from a guy in history, St. Basil the Great, and he says this, what does the Spirit do? His works are indescribable in majesty and innumerable in quantity. How can we even ponder what extends beyond the ages? What did he do before creation began? How great are the graces he showered on creation? What power will he wield in the age to come? He existed, he pre-existed, and coexisted with the Father and the Son before the ages. Even if you can imagine anything beyond the ages, you will discover that the Spirit is even further beyond. So we talked about the Spirit a couple of weeks ago. We talked a little bit about the Spirit last week. We'd talk more about the Spirit today. And we're scratching the surface of this infinite one, the third person of the Trinity. This, this person that we speak of this morning and the power that we can anticipate and expect for ministry and for our life together is the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity. Again, not the least person of the Trinity, but the third person nonetheless. And in this portion of our statement of faith, we are communicating specifically that we believe that the, the God, the Holy Spirit, does not only work in regeneration, as wonderful as that is. A amazing miracle. That God, the Holy Spirit, doesn't only work in, in causing sanctification to happen in our lives and purifying us and causing us to be more like Christ, as crazy amazing as that is. But the thing that we're focusing on this morning is this. That the Holy Spirit empowers believers for the continuing mission of Jesus in our lives, in this church, and in the world today. The Holy Spirit empowers believers for the continuing mission of Jesus in our lives, in this church, and in this world today. If you're like me, you go day after day after day with a sense of just self-sufficiency. We, we just tend to maybe presume upon that or, or assume certain things and 
somehow the Holy Spirit becomes this category that we believe in. And sure, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Sure, the Holy Spirit does this, does that. But, but I'm, I'm lost in my day. And I'm wrestling in my day. I'm struggling against sin. And having a hard time fighting it. Not sure what to do tomorrow. Not sure how to plan for today. Not sure how to do this or how to do this or how to interact with people or how to have boldness or all these kind of things. And the Spirit's saying, look, look at the promises that are all wrapped up in me. How is it that he empowers believers? Two simple points this morning. First, God's people are empowered by the filling of the Spirit. And secondly, God's people are empowered by the gifts of the Spirit. This is just a simple message. There are other messages we've done in the past. We encourage you to go, and I'll point to a couple of them along the way. But first point, God's people are empowered by the filling of the Spirit. Our statement of faith says this in section 10. When Christ ascended, like we read, when Christ ascended, he poured out the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, on the church, ushering in a greater experience of God's presence and power among his people. Now, I'm not going to talk much specifically about each, each point here, but I just want you to not let this information kind of go in one ear and out the other. Let it sit. When Christ ascended, he poured out the Holy Spirit on the church, ushering in a greater experience of God's presence and power among his people. The Spirit transforms hearts by the miracle of regeneration and indwells all believers in abundant new covenant measure. I spoke on this again a couple of weeks ago and I taught extensively on it in our Wednesday night study together. But what I just read summarizes the truths that inform us that when we come to believe the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ, we not only had our hearts regenerated from being dead to being alive to the things of God, we were also indwelt by the Spirit of God. Not, not part of the Spirit, but indwelt by the Spirit, the whole Spirit. Those who believe or are called are regenerated and adopted into the family of God. They've been given the Spirit. We have been given the Spirit in full measure to indwell us and to set us apart into holiness by the actual temple, to be the actual temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, 1 Corinthians 6.19. This, this is the truth of salvation. One of the truths of salvation is we have been indwelt by the whole Spirit of God, changed by Him, sanctified by Him, set apart by Him. But we also believe as as wonderful and uh, uh, amazing as that truth is and we will cling to that truth for eternity but as as much as that is true we also believe that the spirit desires to fill God's people continually with increased power increased power for life for the Christian life if you feel weak if you feel weary if you feel like you succumb to sin so easily. The promise is for increased power for Christian life and for witness. Do you feel weak in evangelism? Do you feel weak in sharing your faith with somebody else, with a friend? Well, guess what? You've been given the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, but there is more to be had. You've been given the fullness of the Spirit, but the Spirit is infinite, and so there is more to be filled. There's more 
of the Spirit to experience. There is more of the experience of the Spirit to, to, to give, to yield to the Spirit, to follow the Spirit, to believe in the Spirit, to believe in the promises, to see Christ clearer. And we'll get into a lot of this this morning. Jesus promised, again, the following in Acts 1.8. You will receive. This is Jesus speaking. Not, not, some, not some Pentecostal person that you don't like. Jesus Christ himself says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is not, 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 this is not a youth camp experience. This is not, not the, the, high, the high conference kind of experience. This goes way beyond all of that. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, we've talked about him, he promises I will send the Holy Spirit upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Our statement of faith goes on to say to, to be filled with the Spirit is to be more fully under his influence. More aware of his presence. More effective in his service. The filling of the Spirit brings to God's people a deeper knowledge of Christ, an increased desire for holiness, a stronger commitment to unity and love, a greater fruitfulness in ministry, and a deeper gratitude for our salvation. This is, this is some of the power that the Spirit, that we're promised in the Spirit, power, a filling to be fully under His influence, more aware of His presence, and more effective in His service. First, to be more fully under his influence. What does that mean? Paul would say to the Ephesian believers, just a short while later, he'd say, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Very common verse. Right? We're all familiar with that verse. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Should we expect something more than what we are currently experiencing? Paul contrasts, you, you, you evaluate your own life, and I'll evaluate my life as well. Paul contrasts being filled with the Spirit with being drunk with wine. We, we get that picture. We've seen drunk people. Perhaps you've been a drunk person. It's a question of influence. It's, it's a question of control or power. What is guiding our life? What is controlling my life? Me? Spirit. Is there a way that the Spirit might just very well want, desire to be having us more under His influence? The promise of being filled with the Spirit to be more fully under His influence. The influence of the infilling Spirit is moral in nature in particular. So, so what we mean by that is like when, I think, of, I think of Paul, when Paul says something along the lines, I count all things as rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. How does he say that? He's a man just like you and me. He says that by the power of the Spirit of God who has opened his eyes to see the glories of Christ clearer. He's filled him afresh over and over and over again. The results and tangible evidence of this filling is the spiritual and relational fruit that Paul describes in Galatians 5. There's a reality of 
love that's in our lives and joy that's in our lives and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things, these, these things are not things that we just strive for and want to press into and say, oh, I need to be more loving, I need to be more joyful. Yes, yes we do. How do we do that? But by the power of the Spirit. There are fruits of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit that we might be more fully under His influence. I said a couple of weeks ago in our Wednesday night, I think sometimes we can focus so much on, um, on asking how much more of the Spirit can I have, how much more of the Spirit can I have, how much more of the Spirit can I have, which, which the answer is you can, have, you, you can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and ask for more of the Spirit. But I think sometimes the emphasis, or always, the emphasis needs to be both that and yielding to the Spirit. How much more of the, how much more can the Spirit have of me? So as I'm praying for more filling of the Spirit, for a fresh infilling of the Spirit, it does not come at the expense of sitting with my hands open saying, I yield to you. I want to listen to you. I want to follow you. And when that happens, as the Spirit fills us, there will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul envisions a community of people, that is the church, whose lives are so totally given over to the Spirit that the life and the works of the Spirit in the Christian are as obvious as the effects of too much wine is obvious in a drunk person. So the fruit of the Spirit, just assess for a moment. This is not, not to beat ourselves up. It is to say, how much are you pursuing the filling of the Spirit to produce these fruits? How much are you yielding your life to the Spirit? Or how often are you even praying about it? Or are you, like me, often going through our day, just kind of mindless, doing the next thing? Parents, gosh, you're so busy. Such, such a joy to have children and, and yet such a weight and difficulty and a tendency to get lost amidst all the training, all the confronting, all the loving, all the cooking, all the changing diapers, all that stuff. Singles college students, high school students, old people. We, we're busy. We're so not mindful of the Holy Spirit, so mindful of all the things we have to do. One, one, one who is being influenced by the Spirit is easy to spot. So I think of the... the um, early church, when they're picking the, the, the initial deacons, you know, the, not, they're not deacons, they're kind of deacons, whatever the guys in Acts 7, um, 6, and um, they're supposed to pick out men who are filled with the Spirit and pick out, how, how do they know? How do they know? How do they know these guys are filled with the Spirit? What is it? Well, it must be evident. There's some sort of evidence. Perhaps it's morality, I'm sure it is, but is it not that they saw Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, all those kind of things. They also may have very well seen the verses right after the uh, Ephesians 5.18 where it says, Be filled with the Spirit 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There will simply, in a Spirit-filled person, or a person that is being filled with the Spirit, because it's not as though you get filled with the Spirit and then you don't need anymore. There's a filling with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit always, continually being filled with the Spirit more and more and more. One of the things that come about in the love, joy, peace, patience, all that will be a fullness of relational unity and encouragement with one another. There will be love that exists in us. Patience and joy in, in the gospel. So when we sing, like at the end of the service, we're going to sing, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. And I just think when the Spirit comes in power and opens our eyes to see what Jesus has accomplished for us, what God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has accomplished for us in Christ's sacrifice, by his shedding of blood, that we might come before his presence with singing in our hearts. That it erupts out of a joy-filled heart because we should not be allowed to do that. But what great joy there is. And we get to do that together. A wholehearted worship. A deep gratitude. I think Thanksgiving, right? What are we thankful for? Well, most, I mean, it's not, it's not to prioritize thanks. It's just that be thankful in everything to God. God has given you your family. God has given you your job. God has given you your life. God has given you everything in this world. God has given us this building, leaky as it is. God has given us these chairs to sit on. God has given us our finances. God has given us this and that and this and that. And the reality is, is that the Spirit works in us. We realize that everything we own, everything that we have, everything that we are belongs to God. So there's a deep gratitude to God for everything. It's, 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 though, it's though, you know those times when you're looking at God's Word and like nothing's happening, nothing's happening, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's like, oh, what? Spirit, God, opening our eyes to see. And all of a sudden we're super happy, super thankful for everything. And then there's a mutual submission to one another. Men submitting to women. Women submitting to men. Brothers and sisters submitting to one another. Philippians 2, thinking about the other person before yourself. This is the work of the Spirit. Spent too much time on this. Under his influence, okay? First thing. Second, to be more fully aware of his presence. Man, Tom, you know that's what, that's what we are praying for you and Nancy. Krishna, it's what we're praying for you. Mike and Lenore, it's what we're praying for you. It's what we're praying for everybody in this church, including ourselves as pastors, that we would be more aware of God's presence because God has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. So the truth is he is with us. But do you feel it? The answer to that question, probably in life, is not so much. Well, how do we get to feel or this sense of presence, of God's presence with us? Consider Stephen in Acts 7 as he was being stoned. It was a difficult situation, right? Super, super bad situation. But he's proclaimed the gospel, and it says in Acts 7, verse 55, he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Nothing, nothing that wasn't already there, nothing that wasn't already happening. But there was an immediate reality that by being full of the Holy Spirit, he experienced a keen awareness of the heavenlies. And keen awareness that Jesus was looking straight at him. And 
loving him and caring for him and truly never leaving or forsaking him. And while we would pray that we'd never face such a difficult situation, Paul reminds us of the intimacy of relationship with God the Father that the Spirit empowers us when he states this, and we sang a little bit about this earlier. You did not receive, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And of course, Abba, meaning that in, there's an intimacy, there's a sense of intimacy, not just a theological construct that God is Father. Okay, I get that. Like, do, you, do we get that? Do we get that God is our Father? He is a, a loving Father. Yes, He's angry at sin, but that sin has been expended on Jesus. Why? Because He loves you. And He loves me. And so we see that clearer. And then in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, which we love to pray. We love to pray this prayer over people. This is a go-to prayer every day for one another. I mean, you think about, think about all the prayers that are in the Bible. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Man, I mean, if you don't know what to pray, just go to this passage and just start praying through it for one another. Here's what he says. And speaking about the closeness of the love of Christ. You want to know the love of Christ? Do you want to know and experience the greatness of the glory of Christ? I do. I'll, I'll more, more so, day after day after day. So, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with what? Power through His Spirit in your inner being. Why? Well, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, I thought Jesus never left me, never leaves me, never forsakes me. What do, you, what do you mean so that he would dwell with? There is a sense of his nearness, that Jesus would make his home in us, that he would feel comfortable, that we would feel comfortable, we would love him and know him, that there would be a comfort reality of, of, of this intimacy with Christ Jesus, that we, and how does that happen? That we being rooted in and grounded in love may have strength. How do we get the strength? Well, by building it. No, by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who's strengthening us. We would be grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How do we get to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Well, by His Word. But who gives you illumination into the Word? The Spirit. The Spirit strengthens you, Spirit strengthens me, that we would be, what's the purpose of all this? That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Not just one time and then done. There, there will be a day when, when we see Jesus face to face and there won't be any need for these same kind of infillings. Because there will no longer be sin. There will no longer be death. There will no longer be weakness. There will no longer be RSV virus or whatever the viruses are that's going on. There will no longer be all these things that, that, that cause us to wrestle. No longer be those besetting sins. But to be filled also is to be more effective in his service. The Spirit empowers us for mutual edification. This is what Paul is speaking of in his letter to the church in Corinth when speaking of the gifts of the Spirit. And we'll get to that in a bit more detail in just a moment and speak about that in much more detail in the weeks, in the midweek gatherings in the next few weeks in particular. Paul makes it clear that all the spiritual gifts 
All the spiritual gifts are for the common good of the church to encourage, to console, to build up, to strengthen. All of the gifts to be more effective in his service. When we're filled with the Spirit, without broaching into the second point too much, he gifts us with manifestations of himself for the good of the church. The the Spirit empowers us clearly for evangelistic witness, boldness. Again, Jesus tells the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, or comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. The ongoing empowerment of the Spirit, and fillings of the Spirit that we should eagerly pray for and expect are, are meant to give us power and boldness for testifying to the greatness and glory of our Savior, to a lost world. To believe the promises of power that Jesus gave to us in Luke 24, the passage that I read at the beginning, throughout Acts and the epistles, that we would be his witnesses, giving testimony of his grace to a hostile world by the power of the Spirit for the joy of all peoples to the glory of God. No, we, we, we want we want that. Boldness. Not arrogance. Humble boldness. You think about how the author of Hebrews talks about the way we approach God. We approach him with boldness. We approach, approach him with confidence. This is, this, is, this is what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us and the power of the Spirit gives us then as we share the gospel with people. What is it you need to grow? What is it that I need to grow in our evangelistic abilities? Faith that the Spirit is going to give us exactly what we ask for when we ask for fillings, and that's boldness. Confidence. Humble confidence. So our response to this statement of faith states it this way. All Christians, therefore, must continually seek to be filled with the Spirit by living and praying in such a way that invites the Spirit's work among us, actively longing for God to accomplish His gracious purposes in us and through us. We we believe that the Spirit's work of filling believers for joy and empowerment and for the glory of God is both ongoing and continuous, not just once and done. It is the privilege of a redeemed child of God to be being filled with the Spirit, which is the grammar in that verse in Ephesians 5.18. To be being filled. God is filling you with the Spirit, and He does so continually, and we are to be asking for it. There is a sense of in submitting ourselves to the filling of the Spirit and not afraid of the filling of the Spirit. Actually, be being filled with the Spirit is the accurate translation. So Gordon Fee says it best here. He says, the Spirit's major role in Paul's view of things lies with his being the absolutely essential constituent of the whole of Christian life from beginning to end. The Spirit thus empowers 
ethical life in all of its dimensions, personal, corporate, and in the world. Believers in Christ who for Paul are spirit people, first and foremost, are variously described as living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and sowing to the Spirit. The Spirit conforms the believer into the likeness of Christ to the glory of God. The Spirit is therefore the empowering presence of God for living the life of God in the presence. May we pray for and long for and expect the Spirit to do precisely what has been promised. God's people are certainly empowered by the filling of the Spirit. If you want to hear more about that, and I'll send a couple of, a couple of links uh, in the sermon follow-up this afternoon where, where we go into greater detail concerning these things. These, these things are worth diving into and not being afraid of. This reality of being filled with the Spirit should evoke questions. Well, if that's true, if that's true, then what am I doing not pursuing that? Friends, just, just, I want you to, I want you to hear, hear just the reality that, like, I might preach from a place of like seeming like I have it together or something, but I don't. I need the Spirit regularly. I go through my days sometimes like not mindful, not mindful of the Spirit. I forget. I get driving. I'm thinking about something on the way and I get halfway there and I forget what I'm going to that place for. Much less asking for the Spirit to Guide me in conversations. This is a purposeful pursuit for all of us. All of us. So please, please never feel as best, as best you can that like I'm somehow preaching down to you. I, I'm, I'm right in the middle of you trying to encourage each one of us to, to pursue that which is promised. I, 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 oh, I, need, I need to be filled with the Spirit afresh. I pray you feel that as well, that I need the Spirit, <laughs> and so do you. Second, second point, God's people are empowered by gifts of the Spirit. God's people are empowered by the gifts of the Spirit. So God's people are, are empowered by the filling of the Spirit. God's people are also empowered by the gifts of the Spirit. In all of the things I've mentioned already in our Christian life and, and witness, being more fully under the Spirit's influence, being more aware of His presence and more effective in His service, stands the promise of God's empowering presence, the Spirit empowering God's people with a myriad of gifts for the common good. Our statement of faith, again, says Christ loves the church, his body, and provides for its health and growth through the Holy Spirit. In addition to giving new life, the Spirit sovereignly bestows gifts on every believer. Spiritual gifts are those abilities and expressions of God's power given by his grace for the glory of Christ and the building of the church. The variety of these gifts, some permanent, some occasional, some more natural, some more remarkable, reflects the diversity of the members of Christ's body and demonstrates our need for one another. The gifts are not to be exercised with apprehension, pride, or disorder, but with faith, love, and order, and always in submission to the authority of Scripture as the final revelation of God. With the exception of those among the apostles who were commissioned as eyewitnesses of Christ, that is making a distinction um, of the 
big A apostolic role, made recipients of normative revelation, that is the word of God, the full range of spiritual gifts remain at work in the church and are given for the good of the church and its witness to the world. We are therefore to earnestly desire and practice them until Christ returns. So what are spiritual gifts? Well, the statement of faith said this, that they're those abilities and expressions of God's power given by his grace for the glory of Christ and the building up of the church. They are the, the gifts. They're the gifts of a, of a loving father. Loving son. Loving spirit to strengthen and sustain and empower. Not just some crazy stuff. They're gifts from our Trinitarian God to us. For his praise, for his glory, and for our deep joy. In Romans 12, we see the Spirit gives a variety of gifts. He says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that is the gift that has been given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches, in his teaching, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And, and the Spirit has given these gifts and others in abundance to this church family. Perhaps too often taken for granted and presumed upon as people just being nice and sacrificial. But scripture tells us that these very common things like serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and cheerfully extending mercy towards one another are gifts of grace that have been given to us to strengthen and to encourage and to reflect the kindness and grace and mercy and glory of our King. And we see these gifts in, in regularity here. For example, I mean, each Sunday morning and Wednesday evening, there are just several of these gifts that are functioning for the sake of the church. So much serving happening all around us. Generosity and teaching, leadership and mercy. And that's just Sunday morning for a couple of hours. Then throughout the rest of the week as you care for one another and provide meals for each other, especially with the increased sickness that we have, as you show hospitality and as you give generously, these are gifts of the Spirit. Yes, they are. There is a, there's an obedience piece to it, but they, it's, it's obedience to, to the Spirit's guidance and, and the gifts of the Spirit that you utilize. So some people are super strong in this area. Other people are very strong in this area. All these things are not just like... Um, Common traits in people, these things Paul speaks of specifically as gifts of the Spirit for the common good of the church. So see, if we are spirit people, if we are people that have the Spirit indwelling us, and people who are being freshly filled with the Spirit, and filled with the Spirit, the Spirit's going to move in us and all these fruits of the Spirit ways, and we're going to be utilizing these gifts that he gives us as well. And all of us don't have the same gift. If we all had the same gift, why why would he talk about this? We, we all have varying gifts, and they all interact for the common good of the church. May we give recognition to God 
the Holy Spirit for what he's doing among us here and ask for yet more. Because it's so, it's so, it's so easy to just misplace the, the work of the Spirit in our lives by saying, oh, man, that person's super nice. Or that person's super generous. It is the work of the Spirit in one another. Let's give the Spirit credit. Let's glorify God for his work among us. And just as I look around, I see different, different strengths, different gifts that the Spirit gives. Not just, not just nice people. Gifts that the Spirit gives us to the church. It's, it's, a, it's quite remarkable. There are also gifts mentioned to Paul in the first letter to the Corinthian church. He says this. He says, there are varieties of gifts, variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And why does he give these gifts, all of them, to the church? That the church would be strengthened in every way. Empowered. To care for one another. Empowered to reach out. Empowered for boldness. We know when we've had a specific word that someone would come up that we would classify as a as a word from the Lord, call it a prophetic word or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or whatever it might be in any given time, there is an effect on people's hearts and recognition that, that it does not equate with Scripture, but it nevertheless lands on some of us as though God were speaking to my very heart. Convicting me of sin. Causing me to see Christ and Him crucified. In one case, with, with one family in our church, where a couple of kids, really, a couple of students, give their lives to Jesus after hearing that imminent work of the Spirit. Well, what? So it's, so what, what does he give? He gives all the gifts that the church will be strengthened. Who is it that gives these gifts? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. All of them, even the ones that serve to divide the church in some ways, like prophecy and tongues. It is the Spirit who empowers us and apportions to believers what He wills. What He wills. Not what we will, what He wills. What He intends for good for the church. What is good for the mission of the church. The reality is that the Spirit moves in all sorts of ways. And we want to be aware of all of them. Not only be aware of some that make the headlines. Or to then, in, in, perhaps inadvertently, negate the gift of those that we may not understand. By stating in some way that they no, long, no longer exist or time has passed for them for whatever reason. We never want the miraculous nature of regeneration and sanctification and justification and all that to be overshadowed by an undue emphasis on others and other gifts and more apparently spectacular aspects of the Spirit's work like spiritual gifts. We don't want to have that perspective or communicate the perspective to people that in absence of certain spiritual gifts in the life of someone that they are lacking the work of the Spirit in them. 
But neither do we want to have a perspective that some of the gifts have ceased. Not to be pursued diligently as we're exhorted to in 1 Corinthians 14. Where Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Especially that you may prophesy. And he goes on to share a few more things. And again, for more on those two specific gifts that cause havoc between churches and Christians, please listen to my sermon from five years ago on this message, and I'll put it in my sermon follow-up this afternoon. And then more of a study on the gifts that you might also consider coming on Wednesday night to, to, to participate in these conversations and this discussion on spiritual gifts and the role of the Spirit. One of, my, one of my joys as a pastor, again, is to communicate with you where I see the Spirit moving in your lives. From, from gospel understanding to miraculous healing that we've seen, to prophetic encouragement, to words of knowledge and the joy of prayer languages, the Spirit is at work among us. We would be wrong to conclude that because we might think that certain gifts aren't prevalent among us, that the Spirit is absent or not working in some way. The Spirit is indeed moving all the time among us. He is working in us, growing us, strengthening us, purifying us, teaching us, bearing fruit in us in the quiet moments of our days, in the privacy of our homes, in our cars, as well as among us while we meet corporately and in the quietness even of this moment. What the Spirit is doing in your heart in this moment. Our posture, rather than one of judging what we think the Spirit is doing or not doing, or perhaps even placing them behind the prison bars of the unbelief of our uncertainty, must be one of ongoing recognition of, dependence on, and outright pursuit of. We, we might agree intellectually, we may be convinced biblically, but we can often live our lives without a conscious need of the Holy Spirit, as I've said numerous times in this sermon. Our belief in the continued work of the Spirit in all the ways that Scripture speaks of should cause us to depend on God when we wake in the morning and when we go to bed at night and all the hours in between. That the Holy Spirit, we would depend on Him as promised to strengthen us, to strengthen us, to really empower us for this life, this mission that He's called us on. Craig Keener says this, we do not believe that supernatural gifts represent the most important issue facing the church today. But we do believe that they point us to a non-negotiable, crucial issue. They call us to dependence on God's Spirit and our ministry to others. We do not believe that those who exercise particular spiritual gifts are more spiritual than others, but we affirm that all spiritual gifts should rightly belong to an entire body of Christ today. So what does that all mean for us? Our statement of faith says this. The gifts are not to be exercised with apprehension, pride, or disorder, but with faith, love, and order, and always in submission to the authority of Scripture as the revelation of God. For some of us, it means that we need to be sure that our understanding of and study of the Spirit, that is our pneumatology, is not merely a theological tenet, but an experienced reality that is pursued by faith day after day after day. May we not be like the generation that Paul speaks of to Timothy when he speaks of people having the appearance of godliness but denying its what? Power. 
May we increase our expectations for the work of the Spirit, both at conversion and the ongoing work of the Spirit in both broad, wonderful ways and specific, seemingly unbelievable ways. May we not be among those who confine our expectations of the Spirit's work to just spectacular gifts and dramatic experiences. Yeah, we, we earnestly want those for the glory of God, for the mission that we're on, for the upbuilding of the local church and for our own personal joy. But we, we must equally be aware of the wonderful breadth of the Spirit's work in all sorts of ways in this church, including the greatest Spirit-empowered miracle of them all, a life given over to Christ, regenerated. Next week we baptize three people by God's grace, for his glory. We've all trusted in Jesus. And that's an act of the Holy Spirit in these people's lives. And we celebrate together that reality. May we be among those who believe the Bible to be true from cover to cover. And it speaks of the ongoing empowerment ministry of the Holy Spirit. May we position ourselves in humility under the word of God. May we be consciously aware of the Spirit's leading in our days. Uh, oftentimes we'd perhaps relegate the Spirit's imminent leading in our lives to just a thought or a, a feeling, and we push it aside as that. When in fact we've been praying for the Spirit to lead us, been praying for the Spirit to guide us, and He's doing just that in the moment. So let's follow the leading of the Spirit, being in step with the Spirit, keeping in step with Him. May we give thanks for the empowering that the Spirit does give us daily and anticipate that the Lord will be true to His promises for empowerment as we ask, and, and sometimes even when we don't ask. He's pleased to pour out the Spirit on us. May there be more time, I think this is the primary application, may there be more time spent in prayer and quiet waiting on the Lord. I, I find this very hard. But I think that's the primary application for us today. There's not, not much like prayer, right, that causes one to say, I depend on you, I need you. Come fill me with life. Open my eyes to see beautiful things out of your law. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Would you, by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, would, would you commit to praying for more of the Spirit this month during Advent? The Holy Spirit empowers believers for the continuing mission of Jesus in their lives in this church and in this world today. Would we be those who pursue that which God has promised? May we delight in and therefore pursue the ongoing power and gifting of the Holy Spirit for the internal mission of God that is at work in us, among us, and also the external mission we've been called to as his people, to the praise of his glory and for an ever-increasing joy in these days as we wait for that day to come when all will be well and we see Jesus face to face.